You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I want to begin uh, by having you turn to uh, the Bible in, in your copy of Scripture, to James chapter 5. I'm not going to read it just yet, but I'd like for you to turn there if you have your copy of Scripture. We're going to be uh, focusing on verses 1 through 6. But interestingly enough, I'd like to read verse 7 to you before we get started. And uh, I think you'll see why as we get into this a little deeper today. The uh, verse 7 that I want to draw your attention to says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Verses 1 through 6 are some of the hardest verses in in James's letter. And they're the only verses or some of the only verses that are aimed directly at the non-church, at the the unbelieving world. And so in a sense, what I'm going to be saying to you, a lot of what I'm going to say to you has direct application more uh, towards those who are outside of the faith. But what you need to do is overhear this because as we listen to this warning and this exhortation to those who are not inside the faith, we begin to see elements of our own walk that could be very dangerous. Now, I write a sermon usually about two months out. There's a process I go through to fine tune it and hopefully make it better. And even on Thursdays, we gather together and we talk it through Um, and we change things all the time, but it's not quite like me to do this to have a little bit of a switch between one service and the next. But as I was sitting down there, the Lord put an idea on my mind and, and, and I want this to be, I'm not gonna preach a different sermon, but if I had an opportunity to rename this sermon, you see vanity up there, I think I would name it this. It's a question. Will you be the bridge? If I were going to rename this sermon, that's what I would rename it. Will you be the bridge because the things I'm going to talk about here today uh, touch on some of the, the, the issues that we're facing as a culture. And the Christian church has answers to the big questions in the culture today. But really, we need to ask ourselves as a church, are we willing to be a bridge Uh, To those who are outside of the church, are we willing when it comes to issues of race, issues of, of social inequality, whatever it is, income inequality, those are words that are out there today that the world seems to think that they own and that they want to have the only solutions that are out there. But I'm convinced that we as gospel-believing Christians have better answers to every big question in the world today. You believe that? Well, here's the deal. That wasn't very reassuring to me. I'm assuming that you agree with me on that because if not, we are in for it today, brothers and sisters. If I can't get you to agree with me on that, here we go. Uh, But here's the deal. Um, Will you be the bridge? Not a bridge, the bridge. The bridge that helps connect a lost world with the blood of Christ, the saving power of Christ. And let me just say this before I say another word. If you say in your heart that you are willing to be the bridge, a gospel bridge, just know this, people walk on bridges. Do you hear me? People walk on bridges. We as a church are going to have to be willing to be walked on to proclaim the gospel as we ought. 
And now, if you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. And we're going to hear these six verses. These are the words of a prophet, not just a New Testament uh, a preacher. These are the words of a prophet. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Lord, James is pointing at a culture that is wicked and evil and full of darkness. 2,000 years ago, there were problems. And I think those same problems are here today. 2,000 years ago, James and the church that he was speaking to here, the Christians he was speaking to, needed to be a bridge to the gospel. And, oh, Lord, we need to be that bridge today as well. God, please help us to be strong enough to be walked on, trampled on, even as we serve you. God, we have to be stronger than we are right now. We have to be fearless, Lord, in a way we've never been fearless before. Help your church to take these hard words and, and become stronger for your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's followers will be kingdom-centered. And it is important for us to note as we look at this passage of Scripture, these are clearly individuals who are not kingdom-centered. The language here, come now, once again, kind of an exclamation point. It's speaking to the rich. It's speaking to those who have miseries coming upon them. These are not people who are in the church. We need to ask ourselves the question, are we kingdom-centric? And a quick look into your Google calendar or perhaps in your checkbook would tell the tale in a large degree whether or not you do have kingdom priorities. Today, many of these verses, the majority of what is said in these verses are aimed at those who are not in the church and those who are using their material possessions for wicked things, for personal things, for self-indulgence, as the text told us. But listen, there are many of us who have been given gifts as believers, and we are Christ followers. But the question is, are we kingdom-centered? Are we a bridge to the kingdom? Are we allowing our gifts, whether it's the gifts of speech, uh, the gifts of, uh, in terms of uh, talents, what, where you work, what you do, what you've been given as gifts, are you using those as bridges to the kingdom of God? And of course, this passage deals a lot with material wealth. And so we're asking the question, are we truly using all that we've been given financially for the kingdom of God? Is your pocketbook a bridge to the gospel and to the kingdom? Sometimes when I come across a passage like this, um, I don't know what to do with it. Because, you know, it's kind of like, I know you guys can go to a whole lot of different churches that are going to go say, you know, you're really awesome. You never really do anything wrong. And let's just, you know, kind of play theology and find the happy, you know, uh, passages of scripture. And those of you who are familiar with Lemony Snicket and an, a series of unfortunate events, I feel like that, that's what I get to bring you today is like, okay, I would like to bring you a happy little story about elves, but instead I'm bringing you the darkness of James 5, 1 through 6. Now I, I say that to you because why do we go through the Bible 
because it doesn't allow us to skip the hard parts. It forces us to wrestle with these passages that are dealing with social justice issues, things that, that the culture is talking about today, but, but is the church building bridges? I'm telling you, the world's out there trying to build some bridges and they're going nowhere. But I believe that we have some gospel bridges that we can build that can truly bring salvation and hope to a lost world. So the question needs to be asked, you know, why is it that, that we have this extreme voice of the prophet? Well, it's because human nature is to live the opposite extreme of holiness. So, so notice this, James is, is, is like rattling our cage. Why? Because the world is in radical opposition most of the time to these gospel principles. And we need to wake up and see how easy it is to fall prey to those ideologies, those ideas that are of the world and that do not have the gospel. We need to be shook up a little bit because the carnal life has a short shelf life. In other words, if we give in to carnality, every joy stays here in this world. The idol of materialism, it promises a good life, but no life beyond this world. And we are here to build a bridge, not to just a better world in the sense of this world, a better government in the sense of this world, but we are here to build a bridge for lost souls to experience Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what we need to be, bridge builders. And we must be ready and willing and courageous enough to be walked on. So let's take a look at this passage here and I begin by looking at the fruit of sin, corrosion and decay. We start off in a really happy place there, don't we? Verses one through three, the fruit of sin, corrosion and decay. Look at that language, weeping and howling, miseries are coming upon you, riches are rotted, garments are moth-eaten, gold and silver corroded. I want you to take a look at that middle part of verse 3, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate uh, uh, privilege of getting battery acid or something like that on your hands, on your skin. I mean, it sets you on fire. And if you don't wash it off, if you don't rinse it off, that caustic acid just eats away. I want you to realize that James is telling us that as the Spirit of God reveals the sin, the caustic sin in our hearts, we need the blood of Jesus to wash it away. If we are convicted this morning, if we see elements of materialism and wickedness of any sort in our hearts, we need to realize that it has to be washed away. We come to worship to hear the truths of God so that we can grow stronger, we can learn about him and avoid the corrosion and decay because that's all that sin gives you is corrosion and decay. Wealth not weighed against spiritual concerns will always be corrosive and lead to decay. Sin and money are fast friends in a fallen world. Now keep this in mind. If God has blessed you with wealth, it doesn't mean that everything about you is bad. That's not what James is saying. James is saying though, what, where's the bridge of your life headed? Well, how are you taking wealth and, and any kind of, of joy and privilege that you've had in your life? Are you using that to further the kingdom or to just further your own desires? 
the language here in verse 1 of weeping and howling and that miseries are coming show us that when we have our, our wealth and our material things aimed in the wrong direction, what we have here is violent grief. What we have here is, is deep sadness. Money can cause this. It doesn't have to cause this. Now, just a verse of scripture here, Proverbs 10, 16 the wage of the righteous leads to life. So there we're told that if we work hard and we use our resources correctly, it leads to life. But then he says, the gain of the wicked to sin. Those whose hearts, that maybe James is talking to here when he's addressing the rich who need to weep and howl, these are individuals that are using their, their resources, their riches for wicked purposes and sinful purposes. They've built a bridge to nowhere. Righteous people are going to look for things full of life. In case you think that James is somehow out of step with Jesus, let me show you a couple things here, not only in, in the Gospels, but even as we get to the end of time in Revelation, some interesting things. For instance, notice this verse I have for you, Luke 6, 24 and 25. Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. That's a warning for those who are building bridges apart from the kingdom of God. They will have woe in this world and the next. That's a bad bargain. Now go to the book of Revelation chapter 18. And here we have a warning to Babylon. This city that is sort of the centerpiece of demonic and satanic activity. Her true colors um, are revealed when she loses her wealth. Money was her idol and once gone, so is her hope. Listen to Revelation 18, 14. The fruit for which your soul longed for has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. So in Revelation, the city of Babylon has put all their eggs in the basket of wealth and comfort and materialism and the spirit of Jesus says to them, it's gone and you will never get it back. These material things, when the bridge leads nowhere, they won't last. They're gone in minutes. I don't know how many of you pay attention to the stock market. It's not something that I pay attention to a lot, but you know, you have an app on your phone. Every once in a while you click it and just see what's going on in New York City. Well, I made the mistake of doing that Monday afternoon. About three o'clock central, which is about the time the market's closed. And the market was down 700 plus points in one day. Now, let me tell you something. If, if you have an annuity or a retirement or something like that, you see that and you go, oh, that hurts. In one day, so much wealth. I don't even know what that figure's up to, but it has to be. Trillions of dollars of wealth were wiped out in one day. But here's the crazy thing. It all came back in two days. I think it was in positive territory by Wednesday. It's crazy. And it just shows that if you're riding that roller coaster, man, that doesn't sound fun to me. It's up and it's down and it's side to side. It's not good. Revelation 18, 17, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. That's how quick it can come and it can go. And that's what James is telling us here in verses two and three, that our riches can, can rot. They are moth-eaten if we're not careful. The gold and silver even corrodes. Those, um, those elements that we think don't corrode, God's word says not even they will last. They will end up in oblivion. Let me just put it to you this way. Things don't matter much 
but people matter eternally. Worldly goods, and uh, they're worthless when a person's life is godless. If your life isn't building a bridge that helps people experience Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, there is vanity there. There is futility, and you need to turn from your wicked ways. Many people use wealth as a sort of cushion against eternal realities. I encourage you, if you're brave, to read Revelation 6, 15 and 16, because the wealthy of the world, the powerful, the connected, the military people of the world, all those who are the traditional holders of power, when the Lord comes back in that great day, the day of the Lord, they try to go into caves and hide under mountains to escape the wrath of God. They are no different than anybody else. You cannot cushion your soul against the judgment of God apart from the blood of Jesus. It's the only way. And too many people in this world are looking for other ways. Jesus warns us in Matthew 19, 23, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a hard, hard way. If all we have, it's an impossible way, if all we have is our wealth, then we will not know the way. Wealth cannot cover up the reality, the realities of death and eternity. It's kind of like drinking coffee to solve the problem of exhaustion. It masks the problem, but it cannot cure it. Preacher friend of mine said that. I I, I find that fascinating. That's really true. Over at Travelers, I I get my coffee uh, most every morning and and they kind of know how much sleep I had the night before by the size of coffee I order. So typically on Monday mornings, it's like, hey, pastor, large it is, right? Yes, I need a large cup of coffee. Now it masks the exhaustion, gives me a little burst of energy, but if I don't get good rest, I'm getting nowhere. I want you to realize that that today, what God's word is saying to the lost world and to the church is, don't let anything keep you from spiritual realities. Don't try to cushion the blow. Let the word of God speak to you clearly and show you the sins of your heart so that you can turn from your sins and live. You see, your whole life is an investment opportunity. And when we see the shortness of life, when we see how important it is to live with eternal things in mind, we can then change. Let's hear Jesus one more time. If you have your copy of scripture, let's turn to Matthew chapter six. I think we have it back here for you too. One of Jesus's famous sayings, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think this is kind of like what James is tapping into is this very paragraph. He's, he's saying, where's your heart? What kind of bridge is your heart building? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You can't have two bridges here. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have to decide. You have to choose. Don't let sin and money ruin you. So the question is, how do we avoid meaningless treasure? Here's some advice from an old Puritan. He says, Prize stuff less and don't let possessions possess you. 
I wonder how many of us are falling prey to that, where our worries and anxieties are there because our possessions possess us. Secondly, we should do good things for fellow man, for our fellow man. We need to be looking for opportunities to bring joy and peace into people's lives. And this third one, seek grace when life is full. That's when you need it most. So here's the deal. If you're in one of those seasons, materially speaking, where job promotions or, or you have a little extra money, that's when you really have to watch out for demonic activity in your life because usually that's when you start uh, praying less and, and doing kind of your own thing more. Just watch out there. We need to be careful because, again, there is a corrosive effect of materialism. Secondly, we need to look at verses 4 and 5, the fraudulent and the fat. These two verses are as close as it comes to a commentary on social justice, I think, in the book of James. In this part of the book of James, he has several things to say about social justice. I have, you know, chapter 1, verse 27 is a good example of that. But here, notice this. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Notice that word fraud. Are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I want you to see that there is a clear indication here that these rich individuals have made their wealth on the backs of the poor. Those who cannot fight back. Those who cannot have their own voice. These particular rich people have exploited those human resources. And I'm here to tell you, there is never, ever an okay time for those who are in Christ to exploit others. We are in the business of lifting people up. We are never to be in the business of putting people down. And I am against any ideology that puts people down. I'm in the business I'm in to lift people up, to get them across that bridge to Jesus and help them to find the hope of heaven instead of all of the false promises of this old world. Social justice, again, is something that today the ideologies of the last few hundred years have something to say about it, Marxism, other things like that. But I want you to know for 2,000 years, the one consistent voice for social justice has been the Christian voice. And today, the world needs to hear our voice more loud and clear than ever before. No movement, no theories, no social constructs can replace the gospel. In our last point, we talked about the corrosive properties of sin. Sin corrodes everything it touches, especially as it relates to the soul. And when our souls are decaying, we hurt others. One of the big discussions in the world today is critical race theory and intersectionality. People are getting worked up and upset about that. It is a theory that is out there that has roots that, um, uh, I, that, that, that bother me, just to be frank. But you need to realize that CRTI is, one, is the world's way to address a problem. The problem with the solution that that particular ideology gives us, when you get down into the weeds just a little bit, you realize that it doesn't have an aim for healing and true reconciliation. So my, my gripe against any theory uh, that's out there, okay, I don't have any time for a theory that 
says right up front, this isn't ever going to get better because I can go to the words of Jesus and I can see that where there is social injustice, where there is racism, where there are those who are oppressed, when we preach the gospel as we ought to, we can then become a bridge, not just so that there's healing and reconciliation between different parts of society, but a bridge to heaven itself. Now listen to me. I have worked hard the last four years here in the state of Missouri, the work I did as an officer of our convention, I've worked hard on a, a getting together and being a part of, when I was president of the convention, we established a task force on race. So please understand, I've been thinking about this and trying to find ways to build bridges between rural churches and urban churches, between black churches and white churches. I'm here to tell you, it's my heart to just see brothers and sisters in Christ cooperating in gospel ministry. But here's the deal. When you do that, you get walked on. Because when you try to bridge a build, uh, build a bridge between these two different camps, everybody's gonna say, well, I don't like how you do this, and well, I don't like how you do that, and you said this, and you said that. Listen, at the end of the day, I believe the only solution we have for peace, not only in the church, but in the uh, larger community, the larger construct, the only way there's going to be peace is if we get away from human theories and truly allow the gospel message of peace and reconciliation to completely overwhelm us. I am here to tell you, I'm here to fight for gospel truth. I will not stand for any ideology that puts people down or oppresses in, a, in another direction. I don't have any time for that. None of us do. We want to bring peace and joy and love. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a bridge to somewhere and that somewhere is the kingdom of God. We have to recover. We have to recover this because, listen, the church today, the church today is letting these voices in the culture have the loudest voice. I'm going to tell you, if, if just Ridgecrest will, will, will be a positive gospel witness, we don't just need to be negative. Don't go out there and just tell everybody what you're, up, what you're against and what you don't like. Let's tell people about what we like. The fact that Jesus saved us when we were distant from him, when we were far from him, he reached down to us. Let's build bridges to the kingdom of God. And let's make sure that that is a gospel-centric bridge. The soul will find no satisfaction otherwise. I've spent a lot of time the last year, really. COVID gave me some time to read a little more. And I started reading a lot about what happened in the Soviet Union. Um, really a, a sad story of oppression and darkness. I do believe that there are some constructs of governance and philosophies that are out there that are very anti-gospel. And I don't, I don't spend a lot of time talking about those things here because really my purpose is to point you to Jesus. I, I don't talk a lot about politics. I don't, I don't talk a lot about the things that are going on in the world. I, you don't need a current events a sermon. You know what you need? You need these hard words from James 5, 1 through 6. Anybody can get up here and tell you the world's going crazy. Brilliant. No, the world's always been crazy and Jesus has always been the answer. Our voice needs to be more loud than the people on Facebook that are angry all the time. The people who will take a sermon like this and rip it apart, and that's fine if you want to do it, but never build anything constructive. If your ministry is to tear everybody down, you're not walking with Jesus. 
He's the one that knocks things down. Follow him. Don't try to be the one that fixes everybody until you let Jesus fix you. Let's be bridge builders, but you've got to let Jesus build your heart first. We have to be a people of love and compassion, and we will be. Your financial resources are either a stairway to heaven or a highway to hell, and I guess I had a couple rock songs in my mind when I wrote that. I don't know. (laughs) If you ever wanted to know if I'm always listening to praise and gospel worship music, I'm not. I guess I'm listening to the devil's music. Put that in my inbox too while you're at it. I don't know. But hear this, it's true. Um, <laughs> uh, how are you using your resources? And, and note this, the Lord of hosts never misses the cry of the oppressed. You see that in verse four? Listen, when, when people who are truly oppressed call out to God, he hears it and he cares. And church, here's all I'm saying. Can we hear those voices? Yes, we hear people. We've heard our African-American brothers and sisters in our, in our country cry out. We've, we've heard people who are impoverished, people who are living in, in, in utter poverty crying out. We need to listen to those voices and provide gospel love. Don't just get upset with how the world's trying to fix it because that's what they think. They use politics to try to fix everything. We use the power of God. We have the power of God and the word of God and that's what we use and we stand firm on biblical principles and we know that God goes to war with those who exploit the poor. You see this in these verses and you see the Lord himself is coming to the defense of the vulnerable. That's what we do when we're building bridges. Listen, the God who set his people free from Egypt does not take the oppression of the poor lightly. God has been in the business of rescuing poor, hurting souls, those who are crying out for justice. In this world, we will not always see perfect justice, but we are building a bridge to the justice of the universe, the ultimate justice, the ultimate peace. That's what we're called to do. And I'm asking you to invest every ounce of your energy and every extra penny uh, in your, in, in your pocket or in your car under the seat. Use every penny for the gospel to build bridges, to make sure that we're using everything we have for a religion pure and undefiled to grow. Let me finish with this frightful warning, the frightful darkness sin brings. If you remain in your sin, notice it says there, verse six, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I want you to hone in on the word condemned. It's a very specific word that James uses there. It's a word that is a legal word. It's a word that hints at legal process. Now, I'm not saying that just for those of you who are lawyers in this room, but here's what I'm saying. Don't think for a minute that the laws of the land are righteous in and of themselves. We need to realize that when we have people whose hearts are corrupted by sin, they will lead us down very dark paths. Let me just share with you a couple examples from history. These Christians that were being exhorted 2,000 years ago in the New Testament, many of them were murdered because their faith was declared illegal and atheistic by the Roman Empire. It was, for a season, legal to kill Christians. Jews were rounded up and exterminated under the law of Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 40s. 
Stalin and the dictatorship of the proletariat codified into law the enslavement of millions of its own citizens, many millions of whom were buried in concentration camps all over Siberia and Russia. In 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States of America declared in the landmark case Roe v. Wade that the taking of innocent life in a mother's womb was the constitutional right of the mother and thus legal. Those are four examples of, I think, what God condemns. He condemns the oppression of the poor, the killing of the weak. He condemns all of those injustices. Sin brings about a frightful darkness. And I want to just say this to you. If you don't have Christ holding you firm, you may be a good person. But if sin remains in your heart, you will not stay in a good place. The darkness of sin will swallow you whole. And so I ask this of you, those of you in this room that have overheard these hard words spoken to those who are non-believers, I hope you've heard some words that hit you in your heart. And I just want to ask you, are you ready? Are, are you willing to be a bridge? Today, as a church, if we stand firm on gospel truths and try to build bridges to hurting people, there will be traffic coming the other direction and we will get walked on. We have to stick together. We have to love one another well. Why is it important that we love one another well? Because the world doesn't want to hear gospel solutions. They want their own solutions. And I'm asking you, church, let's be a bridge. Let's be a bridge. Let's be strong. Let's bear the weight of the cries of the oppressed in this world. Let's bear the weight. And let's do it as Jesus did. He bore the weight of every sin on the cross. He's not asking you to do that. But he's asking each one of you to bear some weight for the kingdom. To be one brick in that bridge to the kingdom of God. What's your role? And why aren't you doing it? May this invitation bring you to where God would have you be. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.